Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Today we're going to be talking about a pastoral community a pastoral community. Um, and as we read through this, you're going to see why um, uh, we're talking about a pastoral community today. I tried to work with the music guy uh, to finish a little bit early, but he refused. Um, so I don't have as much time on the sermon. So he was, he was stubborn uh, today. So, um, so I'm going to have to rush through a little bit of this and, um, and as, as, as we read through Matthew chapter 18. Um, I just want to read a couple passages of scripture before we get into, into Matthew chapter 18. Um, this comes from Romans 8, uh, 13. You can just listen. It says this, Because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Uh, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Uh, again, here's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which... No one will see the Lord. Um, we, we often stress individual holiness. Um, and we often stress, stress individual righteousness, right? Um, we, we talk about um, cutting things out of our life, make sure we're attacking sin in our own lives, uh, to make ourselves uh, righteous. Not righteous before God in the fact that we can earn our righteousness, but righteousness is righteous in the fact that we follow God's commands and we look more and more like Jesus every day. Does this make sense? There's two different, there's, there's two different types of righteousness. The righteousness that we receive from Christ to make us in good standing before the Father, something that we can never own our own. But then there's a type of righteousness that God works within us through our sanctification, through our salvation, so that we become more and more like Jesus. And these two passages of Scripture here live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, right? Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. If you live according to the Spirit, you'll live. And then the passage in Hebrew says, strive for peace and for holiness. But without it, without the holiness... Uh, no one, you won't see God and you won't stand before God. So there is this, um, a sense in which we are made right and made more like Christ. And that brings us to the judgment day. The good news about that is that the Holy Spirit is the one that does it inside of us. Amen. That's the good news because we can't do it ourselves in and of ourselves. Uh, God works in us that righteousness. Um, however, um, so we stress individual holiness and individual righteousness, um, but not, not often do we talk about corporate righteousness or community holiness or, or being concerned with the holiness of those around us in, the, in, the, in our neighbors right here. I want all of us to look around in this room. We're a little bit slim today, um, but look around at these people in the room. Uh, members, regular attenders in here, um, maybe, maybe guests in here. Uh, but as, as for us, uh, people of Riverside, we have joined together and we have said that we want to do this thing, um, this faith life, this Christianity together. 
uh, we are not Rambo Christians. Who's ever seen Rambo in here? Uh, Rambo, Rambo, it was, uh, that was one of my favorite movies whenever I was a kid, okay? Uh, Rambo was like this guy that he would go off on his own and he would just destroy the enemy on his own, right? There's no such thing as Rambo Christians. We are meant to do life together. We are meant to do our faith together. And part of what that means, uh, as we do our faith together is community holiness. And, and, and sin, and talking about sin, um, and in, uh, in our, in our group, in, in our group. Now, that's a little scary, isn't it? Uh, because I, I don't know about you, but I don't want my sins to be talked about within our community. Uh, I don't want our sins to, but there's a manner in which Jesus tells us and, and, and directs us, uh, to do this. So Matthew chapter 18, we're gonna start in verse 1. Uh, the point I want you to get today is that Jesus told his disciples that they should pastorally care for those fellow members of the church. Whenever I say pastorally care, um, I don't mean care that just a pastor gives. Okay, you have a couple pastors here at this church, and we, we like to shepherd, we like to lead, we like to care. Um, but in a sense, God has called us all, all Christians, to care for one another now that word pastor is, 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 is a Latin, a Latin term, uh, that, that comes from, uh, shepherding, right? A shepherd to have to do with his sheep and have to lead his sheep. And in a way, in a sense, we are all called to do that verb together, shepherd and lead one another. You guys with me? And so we're going to be talking about this, uh, Jesus said this, uh, uh to his disciples. Um, and I'm going to give you four reflective questions today. Um, I've been on a kick of reflective questions for so, for, for, for a while. Um, I, for some reason, I like to ask questions like, hmm, well, let me think about that. What do I see this in my life? Let me reflect on this a little bit. So I've been on reflective questions, and uh, I'll probably be on it for the next couple times that I preach. So uh, reflective, four reflective questions. The first reflective question is this. And if you have your little insert, your note insert, you have a pen, a pencil, you have, should have a pen in the back of your seats there. I want you to write this one down. Am I a child among children? Am I a child among children? I'm trying to be clever and not make this make sense until we read the passage. All right. Am I a child among children? Let's start in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to go through verse 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a young child... He put them in, 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 he put him in the midst of them and he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Disciples are spurred by this question because if you just look a few verses earlier in chapter 17, Jesus foretells his death. And he tell, foretells his resurrection. He is, he is saying to them, I'm no longer going to be with you. Um, I, I am going away to a place where you cannot come right now. And in their minds, they're wondering, who's going to take up the reins? Who's going to be in charge when Jesus departs? Who's going to be uh, the head honcho? Who are we going to look to for guidance who are we going to look to for questions? That's what they're thinking at this moment. So whenever they ask him the question, Jesus, who is the greatest? That's essentially what they're asking. Who's next in line? And, and, and maybe they're expecting to say, well, 
Peter, Peter's obviously next in line, right? Peter's, Peter's got this. Or maybe he looks to James and, and says, and says, James, you've been one of my closest three. Uh, you're gonna, you're gonna be leading, right? Uh, or he might just throw a curveball and say, Andrew, you're, you're gonna be leading out of everyone. So they're wondering who's gonna be the greatest, who is going to be, uh, the leader among them. And Jesus, I love Jesus's answers to some of these questions because this is a, a, a strange way to answer a question. He, he gives, often gives an object lesson or a parable, something that they're supposed to grab. But very rarely does Jesus answer a question like outright saying, oh, well, Peter's going to lead or uh, none of you are going to lead. Um, I'm going to bring somebody else up. Um, n- never, n- very rarely does he answer the question outright. And so he answers the question like this. He, he brings a child. He, he calls for a, a little child and he brings him up in, in the middle of him. And he says, unless you become like children, and those, those, pay attention to those words. Those are plural. Unless you, plural, become like children, plural, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus mean? What in the world do you mean by this, Jesus? Well, I, I, th- I thought over this question and, and, you know, studied this passage, passage before, um, is it because, all right, is it because ch- children have childlike faith? You've, have you heard that phrase before? Um, you just have to have childlike faith. Um, uh, you have to have, in other words, you have to have this kind of blind faith. Um, just believe, you know, you tell uh, kids that certain uh, uh, fictitious, I don't know, I don't see any kids in here, certain fictitious characters exist at certain times of the year, if you know what I'm talking about. And, and, and they easily believe that, right? And so is it that, is it that sense in which, uh, uh, they, they, they just automatically believe? Or is it, um, a sense of humility, a humility of character, like, you, you know, uh, I, I'm a child and uh, I'm, 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 I'm humble and I'm just gonna take a, you, what you say at your word. Or is it this trusting issue that Jesus is saying, unless you become like a child, unless you become like children and, and, and you're trusting, then you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now notice what he says here. Jesus says here, he says, you can't enter in into the kingdom of heaven. This is a big deal. So getting this right is massive, right? Because if, if you, if you don't misunderstand what he's talking about here, uh, having that, uh, being like children, being like a child, uh, then you might misunderstand what it means to get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know what kind of, a lot of people say it's like that child life faith. I have no cl- clue what kind of kids these people are raising. <laughs> because let me just to give you an example, all right? Um, I'm not saying anything bad about my kids. I'm just talking about kids in general, all right? We just had VBS here this past week. And some of them kids, as, as some of our volunteers can attest to, they're wonderful, they're beautiful, they're made in the image of God, but they're wild. <laughs> they're wild, right? Uh, some of you can attest to that, right? Um, one of the favorite questions that kids like to ask when you tell them something, um, is that three-letter word, why? Why? You ever heard that before? Anybody of you have kids? You hear that question, why? Why? It's time to turn off the TV and go to bed. Why? It's time to, to, to eat supper. Why? It's time to take a bath. 
Why? It's time to clean up your room. Why? It's time for you to come in here and get a spanking now. Why? All right. So, so that, that, those children, they ask the question. So I don't think Jesus is talking about a blind trust here. They want, a lot of kids, they want to know the reason why behind things, right? I don't think it's talking about humility too, because let's just be honest. Uh, kids can be pretty self-centered. <laughs> It can be very self-centered at times, right? And uh, if you've had uh, multiple kids uh, and they're fighting over a particular toy, uh, my experience with children is that more often than not, they're probably going to fight over the toy than rather be humble and, 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 and give it to the other kid, right? Um, I don't believe this is what Jesus is talking about here when he says, believe in, in, in the kingdom of heaven right here. In fact, in context... And in, in, in the way that it's set up in the, in the original language, I think he's talking about something a little bit different. John MacArthur says this. He says, uh, talking about this verse, he says, Children have no impressive achievements or accomplishments yet. Children have no ability to chart their own course. You can't ask a three-year-old to add. You ask a three-year-old what he's going to be uh, when he grows up. Uh, he's probably going to say Superman, or he's probably going to say, uh, it's Marvel now, right? Uh, he's probably going to say Spider-Man or Iron Man or something like that, right? Uh, they have no ability to chart their own course, uh, no wisdom to face the real world, even though they think they might have wisdom to face the real world. That's a, a, a complaint of one of my children, um, uh, <laughs> of one of my children all the time. I, I wish, I wish I was an adult. I, 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 why can't, why can't I just, Make the decisions that adults make. Well, because you're not wise yet. Um, you have no wisdom to face the world. It's not, it's not your fault. You just have to have some experience and have some learning to do. No ability to protect themselves or provide for themselves. Uh, children, invite, when he says this, he's not insulting children. You've you got to understand this. Uh, he's saying that children are weaker. Uh, they're more dependent. They're more immature. And they're vulnerable. And this is the sense that I believe that Jesus is talking about here. When he says you have to become like children. Remember, we said this is plural. You disciples. He's a disciple say, who's the greatest? Who's going to be in charge? And he answers them. He says, you've got to become like children in your thinking. You can't think who's in charge, who's in charge, who's in charge, who's got the title, who's got the position, who's got the authority. What you've got to be thinking is, I'm desperate. I'm desperate and dependent on God. I am dependent on the Lord. I am uh, uh, depending on God to give me wisdom to chart out my life. I am dependent on God uh, to give me uh, the grace that I need when I mess up. I am totally dependent on Jesus. And Jesus says this, that unless you have that attitude you can't even enter the, the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus says this in, to, in the Beatitudes. In, the, in, in, in chapter 5, I believe it's verse 3, the first Beatitude that he gives. He says, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, right? Now that poor in spirit means that it's somebody that realizes that they're spiritually bankrupt without God. That they are spiritually bankrupt without God. So they're totally dependent on God. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, unless you turn... You guys, all of you, all of us, unless we turn and become like children, totally dependent on God, we'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, whoever humbles himself like this child, 
is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the question that we need to ask is, am I a child among children? He gives it in the plural for a reason. And you'll see the reason as we go through. He's just one, one time that he's talking, one speech that he makes. But he says, uh, uh, the question is here, here is, uh, among children, we are the Lord's children. Among children, am I a child? Am I totally dependent on God? Now, I'll give, just give you another example of how this fleshes out. We have a typical term, or decades ago, we used to use this a lot more, but we have the term that we would call uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And I just used the term, brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We don't typically use the term father and mother in Christ, um, and there's, there's a sense in which you can be a father or mother in Christ and helping mature somebody that's growing up in Christ. But there's a sense in which we are on the same playing field. There's a sense in which we all depend on Christ as brothers and sisters. So you take someone like my son, who is a young Christian, and you take somebody like Alan, Mr. Alan, then, who's been a Christian for years and years and who's mature in the faith. One thing that they, get, that they have in common is that they are brothers in Christ. They are on the same playing field in the sense that they both depend on the work of Christ. Does this make sense? And so Jesus is saying, you are children and you are children together. So am I a child among children? That's the first. The second question is this. The second reflective question is this. What's my influence? What's my influence? I read verses 5 and 6 for this. Jesus continues on. He says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if, to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, verses 5 and 6, that, 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 those phrases, uh, uh, such a little one or one such child or little one, is not talking about physical children. Jesus is, is using the child as an object lesson, but he's talking about his disciples. It's not even talking about an immature believer. It's talking about, he, what he's talking about is all Christians, all believers who have become like children in their dependence upon God. So what he's talking about when he says little ones throughout these next several verses is he's referring to all disciples. Look around the room again. These are all children of God. These are all little ones. These are all uh, children. And John actually uses this verbiage. Uh, Paul actually uses this verbiage. Peter actually uses this verbiage. Little one, children, right? And he's referring to those who are in the faith. And he gives the first command here, the first community command in the passage in verse five, he says, whoever receives one such child, whoever receives a believer in my name receives me. Now this might on the surface not be, uh, it might just be not very deep, but, uh, in, in, in the original language, uh, the, the, the word here is decate and it means to warmly welcome in the Jewish community. Hospitality was a major thing in the Jewish community. It was a major, major thing. 
you made someone, you took someone into your home, a sojourner, a, 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 a someone who is coming, just passing through. You would take them into your home. You would put them up. You would make them feel warmly welcome. And this is the sense, the word, it gives the sense of a warm welcome and making them feel at home. And just as what Jesus is saying, whoever receives a disciple in, in my name, whoever receives a disciple warmly, whoever makes them feel at home amongst the believers, receives me and makes me feel at home and makes me feel warm. And, 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 and I, I liken this to my children, right? Uh, there is no greater joy for a parent when he sees his children that his children, at least in my stage of parenting, that his children are getting along, right? Uh, the, the most aggravated that, that time that, 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 I, that I have is when my children are fighting and when my children are not getting along. The most sweet time and beautiful time is when my children look at each other and tell each other that they love each other, few and far between, but they're sweet, sweet moments. I love it, right? And I imagine that this is what, what, the, what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, whoever receives a believer in my name, whoever receives them, receives me. Like, I am welcomed by that. I feel good when you receive other believers. Now, how do we break this down into application? We look around at these people in this room who, for the most part, have been in this room a week after week after week after month after month and many year after year, much, most of you, much longer than I've been here. And so, do you receive each other warmly like this? Do you know each other by name? Do you receive each other like that you're making them welcome at home? How are you receiving one another? That's a question, an internal question that we should ask. Verse 6, we're going to look at verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones or one of these believers or one of these disciples who believe in me to sin, it would be better to have, for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Isn't that, that's serious, isn't it? He says, not that it's going to be like you having a millstone and cast into the sea. He says, it would actually be, a quick drowning would be better than if you mistreat or if you cause another believer to sin. The word here for causing them to sin is uh, scandalizi, and it's where we get our English word scandalous or scandal from. And in Greek, it has a different meaning. It has uh, the meaning to stumble uh, while walking. I remember whenever we were training our children up and teaching them how to walk, uh, they don't just jump up and get it, Right? Uh, it takes them a while to walk. Um, and so they stumble around and they, they don't immediately get it. Uh, how much longer, though, would it take our children to learn how to walk is if they stood up and you started throwing pillows right there in front of them and stumble, making them stumble and making them fall down on purpose or you, 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 they stood up and you, you pushed a toy in front of them and they had an obstacle in front of them. And this is kind of the sense and what we're getting, what Jesus says. He says, whoever causes a believer, a fellow disciple, a fellow child of God to stumble in their walk with the Lord, it's greater for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and to be cast into the sea. 
Don't do it. Don't cause your brother or sister to stumble. Jesus is being very purposeful here. And remember, all the while, he's answering the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And he's saying, this is how, uh, don't worry about being the greatest. Worry about how you're treating one another. You're asking me, Jesus is saying, you're asking me who's going to be next in line, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. But I'm telling you that you're in this together. That no one person, no one human being is going to look after you, but you look after one another. Why? Because you're all on the same playing field. You're all children. And sometimes children's cause, children causes, or a child causes another child to stumble in their walk. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's serious. Do not cause your brothers or your sisters to stumble. How? How do we cause them to stumble? Let me give you a very practical example. Are you guys with me? Amen? Okay. So I'm going to give you a very, very practical example. And this example comes from the Old Testament. Do you remember in Numbers 13 and 14 when these spies are sent out into the land of Canaan? There's 12 spies, one from each tribe. They were sent out into the land of Canaan. Um, and uh, they, they spied out the land. They came back. And how many of them gave a good report? Do you remember? Joshua and Caleb alone gave a good report. Two out of the ten, two out of the twelve gave a good report, and they focused on 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 the, the the treasure of the land. And they said, "The Lord is with us. We could take the land. Surely we could overcome these people and take the land. And then the spoils would be ours, and we would enter into the promised land." But the rest of them, the ten, did not have their eyes on the prize. They had their eyes on the obstacle, and they looked at the people of the land, and they said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa." We don't know about that. These people are big. They're massive. They would destroy us. They would eat us alive. And it wasn't long after that, that murmuring and complaining and gossip began to spread through the camp of Israel. And in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, verses 1 through 4, it talks about how the people of Israel wept and wailed and complained and said, we will never, ever take over the promised land. We should just go back to Egypt. We should appoint ourselves a leader to turn around and to go back to Egypt. What did the ten do? The ten had control, but their negativity and their complaining and their grumbling and their murmuring spread to the rest of the people. What does that have to do with what Jesus is talking about here. How often do we complain? How often do we grumble? How often do we murmur to other people which is contagious amongst our community of believers? Right? Are we, are, are we, are we negative? Do we complain? Do we gossip about certain things? And Jesus is saying no. If by doing this, what you're doing is you're tempting your brother to fall and you're tempting your brother to sin. Don't do those things. Well, what can I do then? What can I do to cause my, or to avoid causing my brother or sister to stumble? What can I do for, to avoid to cause my brother or sister to stumble? I'm glad you asked. Jesus gave the answer in verses 7 through 9. He says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one who, by whom temptation comes. Let's stop right there. Jesus says, look, temptations in this world are going to come. The world's going to tempt you to sin. 
And remember, he's talking about this in the context of the children of believers, them taking care of themselves, them looking after themselves. And he's saying to them, look, the world is going to cause you to tempt you to sin, right? Don't be one of those people who causes temptation to sin. And these next couple verses in, in verses 8 and 9, we often, these verses sound very familiar to you. They are going to sound very familiar to you. We often take these ver- verses as an individualistic effort, right? As something that is meant for the individual, um, which is true. We can take that as that. He is specifically, Jesus is specifically talking about the individual, but he's talking about the repercussions of not doing what he's about to say. He's talking about the repercussions affecting the group, affecting the whole, affecting the community. Verses 8 and 9, let's read it. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, obviously, he is not talking about physically cutting off your hand or physically cutting off your foot or physically gouging out your eye. What Jesus is saying here is he says, notice in your own life what causes you to sin, your bent to sin, your temptations to sin, and cut it out. Because people in your community, this is so much more beautiful when you take it in the context of the community. Because what Jesus is saying is, is because your community is looking at you in the way that you are tempted, in the way that you are fall, and they themselves are being tempted to fall because of, uh, because of that. So take care to look at your own life and cut those things out in order that you can have a healthy, not just self, Yes, you can have a healthy self, but that you can have a healthy faith family. That you can have a healthy faith community. Spiritual maturity in the community of believers. Listen to this. Spiritual maturity in the community of believers starts with the holiness of the individual. When we keep sin in our lives... We bring temptation to the entire body of believers to do the same. So that's your question. What's my influence? Do I bring temptation or do I bring warm welcome to the faith community? And look around. Am I causing these brothers and sisters to sin by my sin, by my refusal to cut sin out of my life? Or am I being an encouragement to them? And lifting them up. Number three. The third question you need to ask is this. Do I despise my church family? Do I despise my church family? That seems like a no-brainer, right? You guys are awesome people. You guys are great people. I love you guys. But we're not talking about despising our church family and the fact that I go home and I talk to Katie every day and say, Oh, I hate Riverside's people. I don't like Riverside. I don't do that. I, I, I say to my wife, I'm so thankful to be a part of this body of believers. I am so thankful to be with these people. This is just a blessing to be with you guys. But there is a way that we can act and that we can um, uh, neglect to do our part and despise our church family. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 10. 
10 through 14. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones or your fellow Christians or your fellow disciples or your fellow church members. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. I'm not touching that one. Uh, (laughs) That's a sermon in itself. Uh, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that has, uh, that has went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices it over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones, or as you should know by now, one of these believers or one of these disciples should perish. We remind ourselves Jesus is still answering the question. I'm, I, this is like the fourth time I said it. Jesus is still answering the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus is continuing talking about community, 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 community. And he's still talking about how the community cares for the little ones and how we should care for one another. Verse 14, I want to take a look at it and I want to talk about it for a second and we're going to jump back to verse 10. He says, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these disciples or one of these little ones should perish. This is the means by which Jesus brings back straying believers. The means by which Jesus brings back believers that are in sin is through the collective body of the church. This is the way he does it. He chooses to bring back believers who are in unrepentant sin through the collective body of the church. And we're going to get into the practicality of that in a minute. But verse 10, he goes back and he says, so don't despise the little ones. Don't despise these, these people. And he says, when one goes astray... Of course, he's talking in shepherd terminology, and this is where we get the title, a pastoral community from. He talks about the shepherding example, because they would have understood this. And he says, of course, if a, if a, if a shepherd had a hundred sheep and one went away, it's a no-brainer that the shepherd would leave the 99 to go after the one. That's what shepherds did. That is, that is a, that is a common practice. With, with shepherds. It is a no-brainer that a shepherd would do that. And he said, in the same way, in the same way, go after the one who is straying. Go after your brother and sister, your little one, who is caught in sin. How do we despise our brothers? How do we despise our church family? By not taking their sin seriously. By ignoring their sin. That's how we despise our church. I'm going to be clear with this because I've been through examples of this in my own life. I've been through examples of uh, a dear, dear family member who had fell away and was doing, having an adulterous relationship in the church. And the church ignored it. And I follow the practices of 15 through 20 that we're going to look at in a minute. And went to the brother and confronted him of sin and brought two or three others, did that. But when we brought it to the church and he was still unrepentant, the church refused to do anything about that. You have to follow the order. 
and we despise our church family and we refuse to lovingly try to pull people back from their sin and pull people back from when they're astray. Ignoring it, gossiping about sin and not dealing with the person directly, dealing harshly with someone when they're in sin is not the way to act. It is the way to despise your brother or sister. Not seeking after and restoring is a way to despise your fellow believer who is in sin. So the question is, are you loving your brother and sister in this room and the ones that aren't in here? Are you loving them well? Remember there was a question that God asked uh, Cain. Uh, when they were in, uh, whenever they were working the field after they were kicked out of the garden, remember he asked Cain, he says, after Cain had murdered his brother, he asked, where's your brother? Where's Abel? How did Cain respond? He said, am I my brother's keeper? And sometimes we, we, we may look at, at sins of our, of our dear brothers and sisters and we say, ah, I don't want to deal with that. Like, really, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is undoubtedly Yes. You are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are your sister's keeper. Yes, you have a responsibility to keep them from sin and to pull them back from straying all with the heart of love and restoration. Do I despise my church family or do I love them well by going after the straying believer? And the last question is this. The last question is this. Do I give people their best shot at repentance? Do I give people their best shot at repentance? I said earlier that we went through a, a kind of a church discipline thing where the church, a lot, a lot, the leaders of the church ignored a person, a minister's sin in that church and just let it happen um, unrepentantly, let it happen over and over again. And I pleaded with the, with the pastor and the leaders of the church, and I pleaded with them. And I was in a room with them, and I pleaded with them, and I said, they, they said, why do you want to throw this person under the bus? And I said, I don't want to throw this person under the bus. But I know that their best shot at repentance is following this order. And this is the order that Jesus gives in practically bringing back a straying sheep. Verse 15, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That is the goal. The goal is to gain your brother back, to gain your sister back. That's the goal. Verse 16, but if he doesn't listen, if he's still in unrepentant sin, then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. A lot of, let me just pause right there. A lot of people try to skip that step. You can't. You can't st- skip that step. Uh, two or three people, or one or two people must agree with you. We must be in agreement. Yes, we agree that this person is in sin. Let's try to bring them back. Verse uh, 17. But if he refuses listen, uh, to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. How do we treat Gentiles and tax collectors, non-believers is basically what this is saying. We share the gospel with them and try to bring them 
to faith. But we can no longer affirm their walk with the Lord as a church. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Jesus lets, gives us a practical approach to church discipline here. He gives us practical approach to approaching and to try to gain back a straying brother or sister And the translation, the literal translation of verse 15 is this. If the sins of your brother, is say, in Greek, is unto you. So it's not necessarily some versions, like the ESV renders it, uh, if a brother sins against you. Some versions, like the NASB, say, if your brother's sin comes to you, like you are known about it. I tend to, 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 to favor the latter translation because I believe this in context here. If, you, if, if your brother's sin or your sister's sin is made known to you, then you do this. You lovingly approach them. You lovingly try to pull them back from the mire, from this, the, the, the muck of sin. So if you know a brother or sister's sin, this is what you should not do. We named some of these earlier. You should not ignore it. You shouldn't gossip about it. You shouldn't deal harshly with them. You shouldn't give them the silent treatment. If I know this person's done wrong, I'm just not going to say anything to them. I'm, I, you know, I'm just going to ignore them. That's, that's not godly. Don't give them the silent treatment. But what you should do, and their best shot of repentance, repentance is what Jesus laid out here. In, verses, in verse 18, I don't have time to go through um, the perfect present, perfect past participles that, that, that he gives in verse 18. But know that verse 18 says this, that if um, you go through this process, it's a foolproof plan, that you will know if, whether or not somebody's repentant or they're unrepentant. Verse 18 and verses 19 and 20. In the task of confronting your brother or your sister, you have to know that Jesus has our back. This verse is often quoted in prayer times, kind of misquoted in prayer times. Is it true that Jesus is with two or three when we're gathered here as a church? Yes, it's true. Is it true that he's gathered with one believer as, with one believer in a room? Yes, that's true. It's completely true, right? So he's not necessarily talking about, you know, gathering of the church. What he's talking about is he's talking about in church discipline. Look, it's a hard thing to go to somebody when they're in sin. It is an awkward thing. It is a thing that, 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 that churns our nerves a lot. A lot of times we don't, it's not a comfortable thing, but Jesus says, no, that if you do this and, and you follow this example, you follow this practical uh, thing here, I've got your back. I'm there with you when you do that. I am there backing you up. So in, 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 in some, how are you loving your, your fellow believers? How are you loving people in this room? How are you loving people of Riverside? How are you loving your faith family together? When Jesus says, you little children, nobody's going to be, not one person is going to be over you, not one human person. Jesus says, I will be head over you, but not one human person will be head over you and your boss and tell you exactly what to do at all times. You are to look out for one another. You are to, 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 to bring the straying brother back into the fold. You are to set a good example for your brothers and sisters in Christ so that they don't stray. You are to follow this order because it's their best shot of repentance. And God is so gracious to give us this, isn't he? God is so gracious to give us this and line this out for us. 
God is so gracious to give uh, this, uh, this, this plan of how to deal with a straying brother or sister. So let's love one another well. Uh, let's, let's not despise one another. Let's love one another well. And when we see a brother or sister in sin, lovingly go to them. Lovingly try to bring them back and say, hey, brother, sister, this isn't right. You know that the word is, doesn't say to live like that. You need to repent. That's what God has given us each other for. So my goal here today is that we would leave here more in tune and more connected with each other and, and, and more willing to do this for each other than what we were when we came in. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.